Amen. Awesome. I got about a 25-minute sermon here. We're going to try to do in 15. You ready? <laughs> all right. All right. Um, it was 7 p.m. on October 20th, 1968 in Mexico City. The Summer Olympics had just come to an end. The closing ceremonies had just been completed. And now the, the athletes and the spectators that were in the stadium were all starting to grab their things and, and kind of disperse. But then to everybody's surprise, an announcement came over the loudspeaker, asking everybody to remain in their seats because just outside the stadium, police sirens and motorcycles were escorting a low, lone runner slowly into the stadium. A final marathoner would, would be soon entering the stadium. And confused murmurs kind of rippled through the crowd. The, the last marathoner had actually come in hours ago. Medals had already been handed out for this, the marathon. The Olympics were finished, all done. Why had this world-class athlete taken so long? As the runner, a man named John Aquari from Tanzania, entered the stadium, the questions were answered. He was bandaged, had blood on his body, and could only hobble along. You see, early in the race, as he and the, the other runners were jockeying for position, he had taken this horrible fall, gashed open his knee, actually dislocated his knee, banged his knee on the pavement, bashed, banged his head as well. It had been a brutal race. Seventeen runners actually didn't even complete it. It had been that kind of a race. But rather than let discouragement force him out of the race, Aquari received some medical treatment. Then he, he got back up on his feet and kept running despite all the pain, despite all the cramps. 25 miles later, after a painful day running in the sweltering summer heat of Mexico, Aquari stumbled his way around the track as the remaining crowd let out a thunderous ovation. You can go and YouTube it and listen to it for yourself, encouraging him to press on. Soon, Aquari crossed the finish line and was immediately whisked away to the hospital. And the next day, Aquari was being interviewed by some journalists, and they were just asking some questions about his extraordinary, extraordinary feat. And the first question he asked was, the, or they, they asked, was the question that most of us would have asked, why after sustaining the kinds of injuries that you did, would you ever get up and proceed to the finish line when there was no way that you could possibly win the race? Why'd you stay in? And John Aquari's answer and various versions of his answer have actually become some of the most quoted quotes. In he said, my country did not send me over 11,000 kilometers to start a race. They sent me over 11,000 kilometers to finish one. To finish one. You know, just like in um, Aquarius Marathon, life has a way of knocking you down, doesn't it? And then when you're down, it kicks you, it beats you up, pressed down, bruised, discouraged. It, it, it can get you in a place where you have a hard time wanting even to carry on. And, and today what I want to do is I want to talk about what it takes as we're in this series called Resilient. I want to talk about what it takes for you to run the race well and, and to persevere to the very end, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what kinds of things in life are, are, are discouraging you, getting you down, what, it, what does it take to get up like a quarry in this race and just keep on going? You know, the summer and fall of 2020 was probably some of the, the more discouraging, um, maybe the most discouraging season of, of Becky and I's 
life. Um, we were about probably five months at that point into COVID and all the, the craziness of COVID and um, just having been isolated and distant from everybody and, and all that stuff. We were dealing with some stuff on, on the home front that just added to everything. And then on top of that, as, as a lot of you know, we were just, we were just losing a lot of people. It seemed like so many people were just, were just moving away and moving on for, for whatever reason. Well, early in September of 2020, two of our very good friends, some of you will know who I'm talking about, but two of our very good friends who had always been a big part of our church, they texted Becky and I and said, hey, we'd like to take you guys out for dinner. And at that point, there had been so many people that had moved on, we just, we just assumed right away, oh, oh not, not them as well. But we kind of convinced ourselves, no, it, not them. Of all people, not them. Well, we go out for dinner, had our, uh, about 25 minutes of small talk, and, and then they just dropped the bomb. And they, too, were moving out of the, the county. And that night, I, I woke up, uh, you know, it just it, it hit us. And I, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning that night, just like so much stuff on my mind, and just feeling like this heavy, wet blanket of discouragement. And I opened up my journal, which I, I, I do sometimes when I just need to process a lot of stuff that's going on. And, and here's what I wrote down. Being a pastor is so hard sometimes. I'm excited for them, but I'm sure bummed out for us. Actually, bummed, it doesn't even begin to convey what I'm feeling right now. Lost, incredibly discouraged, disappointed, inadequate, hopeless. Has anybody ever been in that place before? Where life has just come along, you're running the race, you've got the end in, in, in mind, you know where you're going, you're excited about this race you're running, but then life starts coming at you. The job was a lot harder than you thought it would be. Or a marriage that was supposed to be happily ever after, just there was bickering and misunderstanding and you just couldn't get resolved. The children barely talked to each other. And then, and then maybe when it feels like there's just nothing left in the tank, you, you got a diagnosis that just completely threw you apart. You're like a runner that's trying to get ahead in life, but life just keeps beating you down, and now you feel like you're lying bloodied and bruised on the side of the track. And, and I want you to know today that if you came in discouraged, you are in the right place. If you're listening online today and you're discouraged, you're in, in the right place. And some of you already, as we've been worshiping and just focusing our attention on who God is and hearing these stories, you find yourself being encouraged. You're in, you're in the right place. And I believe in my prayers that, that before you leave this morning, that the Holy Spirit would come along and breathe life into you, strength into you, hope, perseverance, the resolve to carry on. And one of the greatest stories in the Bible, I'm going to be chugging water this morning. I was singing, I'm trading my sickness for joy today. And um, I'm going to keep believing that. In the meantime, though, I'm going to keep chugging water. One of the great stories in the Bible is the story of David. And uh, David was, was a, a, just a teenager when the race became pretty clearly marked out for him. Prophet Samuel shows up at his home one day and anoints David as the future king of Israel. A huge deal back in that day. And then following that, some incredible things started to happen to David. First thing is he gets invited into the, the household of the current king at the time, a guy named King Saul. David gets invited into his household to, to, to play his instrument for Saul whenever Saul would get kind of tormented. Um, then after that, 
David wins one of the greatest battles in all of history. He takes out Goliath with just a, a slingshot and a stone. And then from there, King Saul makes David a commander in his army because David was so successful, he just quickly moved up through the ranks of the army. Furthermore, David even becomes best friends with the king's son, a man named Jonathan. So you kind of get the picture. Everything is going so great for David. Everything. I mean, just all the pieces are falling together. He, he's got his race marked out for him, and things are just like falling in place. Everything is going so well, in fact, that the women of Israel have written a little song for David. It goes like this. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Now let's just say that that song wasn't exactly on King Saul's top 10 list. The Bible says Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. And just like that, everything changes for David. From then on, David's world, it, it just craters around him. It starts one day where, where David is playing his, his lyre. I don't know if it's like this or like this, but this guitar type thing. He's playing this for Saul. And Saul, the, the Bible says that, that God sent an evil t spirit to torment Saul. I don't know how to wrap my mind around that, but, but God sent this, this spirit. And Saul, in a moment of, of a fit of jealousy, he grabs a spear and hurls it at, hurls it at David twice. And either Saul was just a bad shot or David was really quick because he missed both times. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And then, because that didn't work, though, Saul began to put David in all these dangerous battle situations, hoping that the enemy would take David out. But David just keeps having success. And so Saul, again, another occasion comes along, and he attempts to murder David again with a spear. And then from there, David goes, okay, I, I can't obviously stay around here. This is bad. So he's forced into hiding. He leaves his home. He leaves his family, he leaves his people, and he heads off into the wilderness where he is pursued by Saul, who's trying to get, in, get him and tried, trying to kill him. Things are not going very well for David. It gets so bad that the Bible says, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Now remember the Philistines. Goliath, the guy that David took out, that's his people. David just won a huge battle against the Philistines. And now he's going to live in Philistine country. He's going to be setting up camp with the enemy. And the only reason that the Philistines actually let him do that was because word had caught on about how King Saul was after David. And so they just assumed that David was going to be angry at all of Israel and that David would go to fight with the Philistines against Israel. You know, the thing about discouragement is that not only does it rob you of hope, it robs you of peace, it robs you of joy, it can also weigh you down to the point where you even consider setting up camp with the enemy. With the enemy. And if we're not careful, discouragement can drive us into the arms of the enemies of our soul. I don't know what those might be for you. Maybe it's fear that you got victory over at one time. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's self-pity. Maybe it's hopelessness. But fear, if we're not, or discouragement, if we're not careful, will drive us back to those enemies that we had victory over at one time. 
And one thing that I've found is that those enemies are more than ready and willing to, to throw out the welcome mat and welcome us with, with open arms. That's what discouragement can do. Well, things get much worse for David. <clears throat> one day after he and his men had, had been out on an expedition, David had basically at this point just sort of turned into a, a raiding bandit. They'd been out on an expedition, and they returned home to find that their wives and their children had all been carried away, kidnapped by a group of people called the Amalekites. Things had gotten pretty bad. And the Bible describes how David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And then if it's, as if that wasn't bad enough for David, his own men soon began to turn on him because they blamed him that their wives and children had been carried off. And the Bible says David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. You know, this for David... You know, we always talk about these moments in life where we're just kind of at the end of the rope. We're just like hanging on to like the last little bit. And if, if we let go, we're, we're plummeting to the, it's, it's over, it's the end. David is at one of those moments right here. But listen to what the Bible goes on to say. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And if you're here today in your need of encouragement, or maybe it's not you today, but maybe it's you two weeks from now, two months from now, two years from now, let me give you a few ways that you can be strengthened and that you can be encouraged today. First thing is this, get around people who will encourage you. Get around people who will encourage you. There was one point when David was on the run where the Bible says that he, he, got, he had a little visitor. It was his friend, the prince, a guy named Jonathan, who found David. And the Bible says that Jonathan went to David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. And, and the Bible actually gives us a glimpse into what uh, Jonathan actually said to David. Jonathan said, um, don't be afraid. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. You know, I find that whenever discouragement comes creeping into my soul, one of the first things that I want to do in my flesh, I just want to isolate. I just want to get away from whatever's going on. I want to get away from the world around me and, and, and just isolate in my own little, little world, which is the last thing that you should be doing when you're discouraged. When you're discouraged, the place to be is around other believers. In fact, this, this is actually one of the main reasons that, that we get together at times like this. We get together, not just because that's what Christians do, not just so that we can check off the, the list of what we went to church this week. No, we get together to encourage one another. The Bible puts it like this. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. When you're discouraged, you have to get around people who will encourage you, which, which might also mean that you put limits on the people that discourage you. You know, we all probably have people in our lives that when we're in a bad place, 
they're not going to actually come along and encourage us. They're actually just going to join with us in whatever kind of pity party that we have going on. They're going to just be, be kind of just wallowing in whatever we have going on with us. Maybe just being negative, complaining, complaining, maybe affirming your fears and insecurities. Those are the kind of people you need to limit your time with when you're discouraged and get around people who are positive, people who are uplifting, people who are going to encourage you to get up and keep running the race. You know, there, there are also times where our job as, as the people of God is not necessarily to wait for people to come to us who are discouraged, but our job is actually to take initiative and go to them. I love, I love how Jonathan does it here. You know, at great risk to himself— so Jonathan is going out to David, who his dad, the king, wants to kill. At great risk to himself, Jonathan goes looking for David. And then when he finds David, they don't just kind of sit around the campfire, you know, just like complaining about, about how, oh, my dad shouldn't be doing this to you. And, and, and yeah, I can't believe this is going on. And yeah, you have every right to be mad and upset and discouraged, whatever, whatever. That doesn't happen. No, Jonathan encourages him to stand strong in his faith, the Bible says. And then he actually starts to prophesy over his friend. He tells David, you will be the king of Israel. He reminds David of who he is, reminds him of his calling, and he helps him get his eyes off the discouraging circumstances that he's in and helps him see himself the way that God sees him. You know, there's this, this one of the gifts that God gives the church, that you, you read about this in the New Testament, is this gift that, that a lot of people actually attach a lot of mystery and in, 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 uh, it, it seems kind of mystical, this gift of prophecy. And maybe when you hear that, you think of like some movie where there's some oracle or whatever, but, but the gift of prophecy, and, and by the way, the Bible actually says that we should all seek this gift. It's actually not a mysterious gift. The, the gift of prophecy is really helping people to see themselves the way that Jesus sees them. Did you catch that? It's helping people to see themselves the way that Jesus sees them. So you see that guy who's laying on the track bloodied and bruised, and he thinks he's a failure. He thinks he doesn't have what it takes. He thinks that it's the end. You come along, you remind them, no, here's who you are in Christ. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. God has a calling on your life. You can make it with the power of the Holy Spirit. You remind them of, of who they are in Christ. You help them remember how Jesus sees them. That's what prophecy is. And that's what, what Jonathan comes along and he does with, with David. You know, to be the church is to be people of encouragement. It's to be people of encouragement. Man, may we be that kind of a people. May we be that kind of a church where we don't just, are, are not just so inundated with whatever problems that we have going on in our lives that we neglect to see the hurt, the discouragement, the pain that there is around us. But may we be people of encouragement. I love this story that Anita shared. And it just... This, here's this lady who knows what's going on inside of her soul, but she's able to show up in the room and be, a, be Jesus to this lady. And, and, and who knows what kind of hope, what kind of encouragement. I mean, just that she prayed the prayer that she prayed shows that, that, that Jesus spoke to her in that moment. Let's be those kind of people who, who see the, the people around us, whether it's people in our church or our, our coworkers, and we be Jesus to them, that voice of encouragement when they're discouraged. So first thing is this, if you're discouraged, get around people who will encourage you. Get around people who will encourage you. 
And maybe you're going, well, I don't even know who, who would that even be. Can I just tell you where to start? I mean, just start by showing up on a Sunday. Just start by showing up here. Maybe, maybe you're brand new. You don't know anybody. Just start by showing up here. And, and maybe you're, you're just going to, God's going to encourage you as we sing songs about how we're, we're, we're pressed, we're, we're knocked down, but we're not destroyed. We're, gonna, we're singing songs about how his faithfulness, how great it is. His promise still stands. As you sing songs like that, God's going to encourage you. As you hear someone else declaring the goodness of God, it's going to encourage you. But get around people who will encourage you. Number two is this. Refuse to let discouraging thoughts rule your mind. You know, I've been following Jesus for a pretty long time, about 45. Well, seriously, for probably about 35 years. And I'm astounded at how quick I am to listen to the voice of the enemy. Even after all these years. I don't know if that's just going to be a battle that's going to be there until the day I die. But I'm astounded at how, I, how quick I am to listen to the voice of the enemy, especially when I'm battling discouragement. I'm a failure. Nothing's going my way. Everybody's out to get me. The future is bleak. Nothing ever goes my way. God doesn't really care about me. You know what that's called? It's, it's actually called having a pity party. <laughs> I'm going to say something that just might offend some of you. But I'm going to say it anyway and say it out of love and, and hope that it sets you free. If you're living in discouragement, that's your choice. If you're living in discouragement, that is your choice. It's your choice in that you are choosing to focus your heart and your mind on discouraging thoughts. But here's the thing. God gave you control. God gave you dominion over this thing called your thoughts. And, and you can choose to change your thoughts anytime. And why not, instead of focusing on all the discouraging stuff, why not instead choose to focus on all the good things that are happening in your life? This isn't about denial and turning a deaf ear and just like not having an accurate picture of reality, but it's choosing to focus on the good things in your life. Instead of focusing on your problems, why not focus on the purpose that God has called you for? Instead of focusing on your, your weakness, why not focus instead on God's power? Instead of focusing on your circumstances, focus on Christ and do what Hebrews 12 says, where we, we fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Fix your eyes on Jesus, which leads to the last thing that you can do to strengthen and encourage yourself today, and that's this. Stay close to Jesus. Oh, stay close to Jesus. I can't tell you how many times there has been uh, the, the discouragement has been so heavy, and the only thing that has gotten me through is the presence of Jesus. Just staying close to him, clinging to him. And here's David. He's at his lowest point, and the Bible says David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Well, how did he do that? What does that mean? What does that even look like? Well, he worshiped. He, did, he fixed his eyes on his God, who, who God is he chose to put aside fear and discouragement and instead reminded himself of how big his God was. Well, Rich, how do you know that? How do you know, how do you know that that's what David did? Well, we actually have four psalms were written while David was on the run from Saul. Four psalms that, that David wrote 
while he was out in the wilderness on the run, going from city to 